So I'm going to be reading Matthew 15, 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region um, came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her word, her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Camilla. So it's our practice here to spend some moments in silence. And just like as we think about um, worshiping together we enter into this time where we hear from God's Word, and it's easy to disengage when anybody prays. I don't want you to do that. And so you are engaging with the God who created you right now with me. And I know that I speak with a microphone, but what we're asking in this moment is for God to show us uh, himself through this woman that we just read about, that Camilla just read about. And uh, here's what I want us to ask God together. Um, God, show us how, how our faith becomes humble and feisty and personal, okay? Show us how that can happen in our hearts, humble, feisty, and personal. Let's pray. Lord, it's so good to be here every week with your dear people who are, are coming to hear from you. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak. Um, speak through this text. Speak through the ways in which you, you've interacted with so many people through Scripture. Um, and we see the, the beauty of each other's faith and how it emboldens us to take our own neediness to you. Um, and so we ask, we ask that now, Lord, that you would show us what humility means, that you would show us what it means to be feisty with you, that you would show us uh, what it means to, to take our faith and make it personal, so that it's not just something that we do that makes us feel good during the Christmas season, or that it's a cultural, Christianity is a cultural thing that we are raised in, but that it actually uh, profoundly impacts our hearts so that our uh, profession actually matches what's going on inside of us. And so would you do that by the Spirit? We realize that, that that's, a, that's a miraculous thing that the Holy Spirit must do in us. And so come and make that happen. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so we ha- we've actually looked at this text before. In, uh, in this church, and I want to think about it in light of Advent 
in how human beings are supposed to approach God. So part of what we're thinking about in Advent is, is Jesus' entry into the world, and then we anticipate his, his second coming into the world. And so if he has come into the world, what is, what is our uh, approach to him supposed to be? And in our text, uh, what we see is a, a mother who has a sick child. And if you know about mothers and sick children, a mom will do anything for their child when their children are sick. And that's the desperation that this woman brings to Jesus as he enters into her region of where she lives. Her child wasn't well spiritually or mentally. And uh, it's clear that she believes or thinks in some way that, that Jesus has power to heal her daughter that she doesn't have access to within and of herself. And this is the posture I want us to imagine, what it, what it would look like for us to embody her posture in the Advent season in her approach to Jesus in this text. In her approach, we see that she is humble in her approach, she's feisty, and she is profoundly personal in her approach to Jesus. And so point one, uh, she's humble. So prior to this in Matthew, if you were to go up and read in chapter 14, Jesus was in this region called Gennesaret. And in that region, he was having a debate with scribes and Pharisees about what makes somebody a good person. And is it what's on the outside and what people do on the outside, or is it what's on the inside? And he said, to them, he's like, you know, y'all have done something very tricky with your lives. You actually look really good on the outside. What you profess to believe is like really nice to look at, but it's actually what's internal that's very, very, very bad. So much so that he said, Isaiah said it well when he, when he said, this people, he's talking about Israelites 700 years ago, this people uh, professes me with their lips but their heart is very, very far away from me. Profess God with your lip, but internally something different is going on. Um, and as we've been, you know, if, you, if you've been here uh, over the course of the past few months, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew. And what's so interesting in the Gospel of Matthew is that when the king, Jesus is professing to be the king with a kingdom coming into the world, the people that you would think would be initially attracted to the kingdom, the Jewish people, the religious the scribes and the Pharisees, when the king actually comes, they are repelled by him. And then the people that you think would not have anything to do with the king of the Jews, when that king comes into their midst, they are attracted to him. And so outsiders are compelled, whereas insiders are repelled. And that's where our story picks up. He's in uh, this district called Tyre and Sidon. That's the coast in the Middle East. Verse 21, where the people there w- wouldn't necessarily understand the history of the Jewish people or the Savior of Israel. And he's doing this to show his own people, specifically his disciples, what it means to approach Jesus, what it means to approach him, what it means to to embrace, to prepare the kings, uh, to prepare your heart room for the king. Verse 22, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. Now, Canaan was the enemy of God's people historically. She came out and she begins to yell, 
Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Okay? Now that's important. Think about her address. Enemy of God's people, not a Jew. Coming primarily to Jesus and saying, you are the Lord and the Messiah, and that's important because he is primarily there to save Israel, ethnic Israel initially, and that would have immediately put her on the outside because she's not a Jew, and she's a woman. And what we're going to see, if you were to read the whole Gospel of Matthew, is that every woman in Jesus' lineage is an outsider. Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, Mary was an outsider in her own way. She was pregnant outside of wedlock. And what Matthew is showing is that, look, this is, this is where the gospel is going. It's going to people who appear to be on the outside. And he's doing that in front of the insiders, in front of the people that are on the inside. And what he's showing is that this woman from Syrophoenicia she is the embodiment of somebody who couldn't even get near the temple, who couldn't get near God's presence, who couldn't get in. And she was ready for the king, whereas the, the king's own people were not ready for him and they rejected him. And I want us to look at the wisdom in her approach, and I want us to sit just for a little bit um, with the confusion of how Jesus treats her, because it's alarming. Her first plea, I, you know, I was so close because I took ordination vows in a Presbyterian uh, denomination. You know, in the Baptist world, we would do like, we'd use props and stuff and get out here and act, act stuff out. I was very tempted to get Don Marie up here so that I could act this uh, whole scene out, but I, I, don't, I don't want to. So um, I, I do want us to do this. I really do want us to imagine the awkwardness of this, of this scene in the text, okay? Um, her first plea to Jesus, Oh Lord, please help me. My, my, my daughter is oppressed by a demon. Verse 23 is met with complete silence. Like he totally ignores her. And so the disciples say, Jesus, please send her away. Like she's a dog. And it appears that Jesus complies with her request, or their request, because he tells her, he says, look, I was only sent for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, verse 24. You get what he's saying? I didn't come for people like you. And then she came, and this is the part I really want us to imagine. She came and knelt before him. Right? Now, imagine that. I'm very tempted to get on my knees right now. Um, imagine where she's at, and now she's looking up at him, and she says, Lord, help me. Imagine how uncomfortable that would have made everyone. And then Jesus says one of the most seemingly nasty things he's ever said. He looks at this woman in her disorientation while she's on the ground in front of him, and he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Uh, okay. <laughs> wow. Um, what's going on there? 
You, you know, Dan Doriani, he's a New Testament professor at the Covenant Seminary. He said there's this ancient debate among Jews that you can actually read about. And the debate was, if you saw a Gentile drowning in the water, a Gentile is most of the people here in this room, you know, people that aren't Jews. If you saw a Gentile drowning in the water, should you save them or should you just let them drown? And he said there's actually a pretty, a pretty strong debate among Jews that says you should probably just let them drown because if you let them live, they will just perpetuate the evil that's in the world and make it worse. Okay, that's spoken of about people like us. And let's, let's have an open mind because that's their worldview, right? Um, Canaan had a culture that if you, if you read about it, it really is, it, it perpetuates things that we would consider like sex trafficking or the killing of innocent adults or the killing of innocent babies. And this is what this woman embodies in the disciples' minds. Somebody who is evil and perpetuates evil in the world. And so what he's doing, what Jesus is doing is that he is in real time and space with words embodying what's in their hearts. What they actually think about a woman like this. So that he can destroy it without destroying, her, without destroying them. He's showing his disciples in particular in real time what their pride and selfishness looks like when it's exposed and its ugliness and when it's out in the open, he's saying, look, y'all, this is what is in y'all's hearts. This is how you treat people internally. I know you say you don't, but this is, how, this is what's actually going on in, inside. And more importantly, he's doing that not just to make them feel terrible about themselves, but he's doing that so that they can become like her. Because she comes to the king like we all should. He's showing them the gospel, the, the good news that God came into the world for needy people, and they have an opportunity to believe in him in the same way that she does. But first we must see that her approach to Jesus is in humility. It's close to the ground. And secondly, her approach to Jesus is uh, it's feisty. And I got that from a... I, I was driving back one Thanksgiving I was in St. Louis, and I stopped at this church where a guy named Zach Eswine was preaching, and he was preaching on the Magnificat, and he, he talked about how his dog, when he gets to play with his dog, they like wrestle with this like little string toy, and uh, he said, this is, this is what I think Mary is doing with God in her Magnificat. She's feisty in her faith with, with God, and I think that's exactly what this woman's doing here too. She doesn't let Jesus go. She's like clinging to him. And look at verse 27. And all her tenacity, I mean, this is so genius of her. She says, basically, Jesus just called her a dog. And she said, yeah, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I want that to be our racing name. Isn't that right? Um, it's either that one or where the corpse is there, the vultures will gather. That's also a good one. Um, <laughs> I love, I love how this woman responds. It's one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture because she embraces her place in relation to Jesus. And yet, what she does is that she calls on his character. 
as a God who provides, and even his crumbs are better than what she brings to the table. And she is both humble and feisty in her approach to Jesus. And what I want us to ask is, how did she get there? Um, partially, it was as simple as her, she had an urgent need, and she relentlessly took it to Christ. And her suffering, this is the beautiful part of suffering and what it can do to us when we, when we take it to Jesus her suffering made her unconscious of her own dignity. Some of you have experienced that. When you, when you really go through it, all these other things that you had, like beef with other people, just kind of goes away. You, don't, you stop caring about it, and, and something becomes more important to you. Well, her daughter was sick. And so what sounds offensive to us when we hear it, she doesn't care about. Now, how? Well, There is something more important to her than her own dignity. And this is what Jesus has been saying all along. Look, y'all, if you are willing to lose things, you will get them. If you're willing to die to things, that's when they come alive in you. What was preventing the Jews from approaching Jesus like this is that they thought they had something to offer him that made them better than others. And they were very, very aware of their reputation, like too aware of it. And all this woman comes to Jesus with is her need and belief that he has the power that she doesn't have. And that's what suffering can do for a person. And that's why her faith is great. Her daughter was not, she wasn't well, and she had a demon, which meant, you know, if we put it in our language, uh, her daughter and her were not safe people to be around. Like, they could hurt you or damage you mentally because they were damaged mentally. And when Jesus, you know, his response sounds like, I didn't come for people like you. She doesn't give up, and she's like this feisty little dog that accepts anything from her owner, and she says, okay, 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 so I'm a dog. I'm a dog. I accept that. Can I have some crumbs? Give me some leftover scraps. That's better than what I got. That is the right type of consumerism. There's a lot of talk today, you know, about consumerism and us getting everything that we want here in the West. Uh, when su- this, is, this is why suffering is so good for us. When, when suffering comes, it reminds you of what's really true, of what really matters. And here's the truth. At, at our base level, at the core, when things are stripped away, we are all beggars. All of us. We're beggars. And none of us naturally want to believe that about ourselves. None of us want, want to be on the ground, near the dirt, asking for things all the time. The only people that naturally get this are infants And people that need others for their survival constantly. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what is is the truly flourishing life today? What does it mean to flourish? Andy Crouch, in his book, Strong and Weak, asked this about his, you know, he had a niece that was born. Her name was Angela, who had trisomy 13. 
And if you know anything about trisomy 13, uh, people that are born with that typically live for a couple of hours and then they die. Well, Angela actually lived for years and years and years, but she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk, she she was an invalid. And he began to ask the question as he was struggling through this, uh, is it possible for Angela to flourish? And as he wrestled with that, that question, his answer that he concluded with, with was, yes, because her life was only possible, and I love this, he, he said her life was only possible because it required an ever widening web of acts of love and service that people had to do just to keep her alive. And so what happened with her life is that she made other people come together and she drew out the best in other human beings in community just just so that she could make it from one day to the next. That, That is what the life of Jesus does. He brings people together and makes them flourish through drawing out their sacrifices and service together. And so, yes, she can have a flourishing life. And that's what this woman is showing us. That this is actually what it means to flourish. To come to Jesus with your need. That's when your heart has prepared him room. And uh, I love... I, like, love undercover shows. You know, like, undercover detectives... And the, the reason why I love them is because the longer, the longer you can remain undercover, the deeper you get to go into enemy territory to expose it for what it actually is. That's what Jesus is doing in our passage. He's speaking their language, and it's racist and dehumanizing. He's exposing it so he can blow it up from the inside. And that's what the incarnation is. That Jesus himself went undercover as a human being and he went deep, deep into enemy territory. So deep into enemy territory that he lets evil, this is how I think of it, y'all. He lets evil mature around him. And it gets so bad that it consumes him, it swallows him whole, death itself, so that he could blow it up from the inside and destroy it. From the root. There's this, um, you know, the hymn that said, you know, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hailed incarnate deity. He was outside the world and he came into it. And this woman, she was an outsider. And she's about to come inside the faith and show us all all the insiders what it looks like to actually believe. One of the reasons we don't give God our hearts is because, you know, I, I do want you to think about your, your own faith. If you, if you claim to be a Christian today, um, do, you, do you sense at all that there's like a feisty tenaciousness with God in you? And if not, um, could it be that you've sort of lost hope that this stuff can actually matter. That God even would care enough to enter your life in the way that he entered the world and and blow it up, like in a good way. And it appears everywhere in Scripture that, you know, God God likes it, y'all, when we get feisty with him. 
The, the Psalms are full of like people, human beings being angry at him and saying, where are you at? He likes that much more than indifference. He likes that much more than it even seeming like it doesn't matter. And it because, because it means that our hearts are in it, and Jesus dignifies desperate people when we direct that desperation towards him, and that's when our faith can become profoundly personal. Profoundly. Uh, third, this is the last point. Uh, this is the bizarre thing about this story. This woman's speech was actually matching the internal reality of what she believed, unlike the Jews. That's why she wouldn't let Jesus go until she got that blessing. And I love that because even a crumb from the master's table has the power to fully heal. And here's how I want us to kind of think about application. Uh, What might be some of the crumbs that fall from the master's table for us today? I want us to think about that. And, you know, sometimes God sends people into our lives that we highly trust. People that speak our own language. For the precise reason, in order to expose the evil that lies deep within our hearts. So that he can destroy it without destroying us. There there is a way... There is a way, y'all, to actually long for the coming judgment of God that says, Lord, whatever, whatever comes to the surface in my life, whatever is exposed in me, I want you to destroy it. I want you to burn it. Because that's not who I truly am. A person who says that, a person who says, hey, if you see sin in me, please yell it, yell it out from the housetops that that person can't lose. They can't. And the first thing that must be dealt with as God's Spirit draws us to Himself is that He demolishes all dignity, all dignity that is built on anything but Him. And this woman was not resting in her own honor. She didn't seem to care much about being respectable. It's because she knew that Jesus had access to power beyond her, and that's what she really wanted. And here's what I want, here's what I want to ask y'all. What, what has pushed you to long in this life? What has pushed you to long for a power that is beyond you? When you, when you have become helpless to fix it. There may be people in this room that are, you are so depressed, like it's a miracle that you're here. Because most days... You can't get anything done. Like you literally can't do the next thing. Some of you in here may be so lonely that you've given up even trying to personally engage with people because every time you engage, that person's eyes aren't locked in and you know they're not going to understand you. They're not taking the time to take you in. They don't care. And it just becomes a perpetual Hurt after hurt after hurt, every interaction with another person. And it's lonely. What do you do, what do, you do uh, when you aren't even willing to ask God for help because you don't believe He will anymore? 
Here's the beauty of Christianity. It's actually at that point that you understand Advent. When you have given up, that's, when, that's what mercy is. <laughs> that's the whole point. That's the reason why Jesus came into the world, and that is the exact place, you guys, where Christmas gets personal, where Christianity gets deep into the heart, where it gets personal for you. And here's how it plays out. If, uh, if a family member or a dear friend ever confronts you about something, that is what is so dangerous to the flesh. When those, you know this, when those who love you and you're convinced that they love you, when they gain the courage to speak up, it can be deadly in the right way. Deadly in terms of killing sin. And the reason why is because they love you and you know that they love you and they've gone deep into enemy territory of your own flesh by living with you, by seeing you day in and day out. And so when they turn to you and they say, honey, honey, you are, you are angry. You do bow up when you get scared. Sweetie, you got, a, you got a critical spirit. And you're angry. And it's affecting our kids. Our dad, you, like, yes, you, you have put a lot of performative pressure on me. And I can't, like, I don't know how to live up. And so I feel crushed. Or mom... Your protectiveness, it's, ca- it's caused me to emotionally run away from you. I don't want to, but I feel smothered. Look, if anybody has ever, has, if you've ever had the great privilege of hearing something like that, well, you have a choice, don't you? Just like the disciples did in our passage. You can repent and believe, or you can be locked into your own unfaithlessness. This And this is how Chris, Christianity becomes more than just a cultural thing that you do, more than just the family that you were raised in. Um, and this is a great you know, struggle with, with Christmas, isn't it? It's, it's, so, it's filled with all these wonderful things, the, the smells. Uh, I always think of the candy cane forest and elf, you know. You're, <laughs> I think of shields here. I always think of shields during Christmas time. She's so festive, all of the good the good things, the movies, the family, and, and, and yet you go to bed at night, it's like, man, I feel kind of hollow inside. Why do I feel like that? And as I've listened to you, it's coming up on six years now, that's how most of you feel about your faith. It's like, I, I know I'm supposed to be like feeling much more than this. Should be more real. This is how it becomes real for you. That when suffering comes into your life or when things are exposed that you don't have any control over and you don't know how to fix it, you don't know what to do about it. And you take that and you say, Lord, help. <laughs> that, that's, that's when all this stuff is just the icing on the cake of the internal reality that you have the God of the universe living inside of you. 
God with us? Who has the power to save? Who has the power to heal? Who has the power to eradicate demons in us? Who has the power to eradicate addictions? Who has the power to kill pride? This is how the gospel simultaneously humbles you and dignifies you just like this woman makes you feisty and makes you personal with him. This is what we do every single week at Redeemer. This is the point of this table that it's for Christians as well as non-Christians that we come to this table with need, with all of our need. And we say, Lord, have mercy. And we hear Jesus say back, that's why I came. Now we can play. (laughs) You will then know that it's more than just a cultural thing or just something that you believe in, but this is the very reason for your existence. This is the very reason you're alive. That Jesus came, the Son of David, to have mercy on us, helpless sinners. And so we can, you know, was it Mark Twain that said, if heaven uh, went by merit, you would stay and your dog would go. You can learn a lot from pets. You can learn a lot from this woman. Um, Let's pray and uh, consider these things as we approach the table. Father, we thank you for the faith of this woman, and we ask, Lord, that you would make us uh, humble and feisty and personal as we approach this table today, and that we would, we would be that way this week as we interact with one another, as we, uh, we long for the peace that you brought into the world, especially and in your first coming. And so would you uh, make us the type of community that can house your spirit so that we may begin to anticipate your, your coming judgment, which is to restore all things back to the way that they are supposed to be. And so, Lord, would you do that? Would you come quickly? In Christ's name, amen.